We're beginning this morning a new series, Beyond the Law. And I wonder what you feel when you hear that word, law. For many of us, the word law is a word that makes our hearts sink. We hear it and we think about arbitrary rules you have to keep, dead religion. And that's because we'd much rather have freedom from things like that. Freedom is a word that makes our hearts sore. We love freedom. We'll do anything to have it. But there's a mysterious thing about freedom, and it's this. The best freedoms are not so much just about what you're free from, but just as much the things you're free for. Imagine your friends with a concert pianist. They don't look very free as you see them rehearsing and practicing and rehearsing and practicing, saying no to social engagements so that they can be at their piano and rehearse. They're not free from discipline. They're not free from practice. They're not free from routine. And you might think they don't look free at all until you go to their concert and you hear them play a piano concerto. And it turns out that they are exquisitely free to express something so beautiful. They were choosing a better freedom. They weren't free from practice and discipline so that they could be free for the display of creativity and skill. Our culture is really excited about freedom from. But in the gospel, freedom for is just as important. In fact, the book of Exodus, which we just heard read from, tells us that. Exodus begins with the people of Israel enslaved by the cruel Pharaoh. And there's a stunning act of salvation as the Lord acts with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and saves them. But you know, that's all done by chapter 14. And we still have most of Exodus to go in the book. And that's because being free from Pharaoh is just the beginning. Now, the people are free for God. Free to worship him. Free to live for him and discover his goodness. And that's where God's law comes in to our lives as believers. That's why James, in his letter, 1 verse 25, can call it the perfect law that gives freedom. This series, we're going beyond the law. As we look at the Ten Commandments, what comes in Exodus 20 that follows, and see particularly what it looks like for us as Jesus' people to follow him and obey them. We're going beyond the law. And our readings this morning set the scene for all we're going to see in this series over the summer. Exodus 19 is a climactic moment and a really important part of our story as the church, as we see Israel, our spiritual ancestors, gathered to God, commissioned by him. And yet, as Hebrews 12 pointed out, that's not where we are in the story this morning. We are no longer at the foot of Mount Sinai. I have two things for us to see this morning, primarily from Hebrews 12. Here's the first one. You've come to a better mountain, so say no to false fear. You've come to a better mountain, so say no to false fear. Hebrews 12 is a powerful contrast between two mountains, Sinai and Zion. Sinai is glorious and terrifying. With the holiness of God so powerful, it, it threatens the sinners who come near. But with Jesus, you've come to a better mountain. 
Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Sinai was out in the wilderness. They'd barely gotten out of Egypt. It would be many years and many miles before they entered the promised land. But you have come to Mount Zion, right to the heart of where God dwells. Carrying on in verse 22. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. Sinai is full of terror. Did you pick that up from that reading? Even Moses trembled with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is glory and peace. It's the security of belonging to Jesus, the joy of joining in with the worship of the angels. And how is that possible? Picking it up in the text. You have come to God, verse 23, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You've come to a better mountain. And that means that you have a different relationship with God's law because you've come to Jesus and you're part of his new covenant. Now, at Mount Sinai, the people of Israel were receiving a law that is specific to their calling as a nation. And one of the things each of us must do as believers is understand how to read that law as we come across it in the Old Testament. And there are about 613 about commandments given that you can read. How do we relate to them today? Well, the Church of England's official doctrine, and you know such a thing does exist, is actually quite helpful on this and gives us a little bit of a rule of thumb to understand the Old Testament law. In Article 7 of the 39 Articles, it says that you can read the Old Testament law and see it as falling into roughly three categories. Civil laws that basically govern the political life of the Kingdom of Israel. Ceremonial laws that cover their regulations for worship and their life of prayer and moral laws that call them to obey God in holy lives. And as a very rough rule of thumb, the civil and ceremonial laws apply specifically to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, and they don't apply to us the same way. But as for the moral law, we are as bound to that as they were, because that's just what it is to follow the Lord. And can I say, looking ahead to the series, the Ten Commandments are a beautiful summary of that moral law. And as we come to it, we're not exempt from it as Jesus' people, we're bound to it. But we have a different relationship to the law because we belong to Jesus. And there are lots of ways to describe that difference. Here's one from our passage. As Jesus' people, the law is no longer how we get right with God. The law is no longer how we get right with God. The problem with the law is not actually the law itself. It's always been with us. It's not that the law was commanding terrible things. It's that we, in our sin, were unable to keep it. The voice from Sinai said in our reading, if you obey me fully, but read the Old Testament and you'll see the people never did. Let's be honest, neither do we. And so if the law is how you get right with God, you're never right with God. That's why it is wonderful that we are no longer at Mount Sinai, but have come to Mount Zion. Wonderful that we belong to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, 
so that we are not right through what we do, but through what he did. Not through our obedience, but through his. You have come to a better mountain. So say no to false fear. Say no to false fear. That fear is described by John in his first letter, 1 John 4, uh, 18. He writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And that's true. False fear does have to do with punishment. But remember, we belong to Jesus who died for us. And as Isaiah writes in chapter 53, when he died, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And so there is no punishment for us to fear. And we are sprinkled with the blood that speaks a better word. What does that mean? Well, Abel, we read about in verse 24, he was murdered by Cain in Genesis chapter 4. And when Cain did that, he had nowhere to hide. Because God said it was as if Abel's blood was crying out to him. That was the word Abel's blood speaks, guilty. Cain is guilty. Now that's actually very good news. Because you might have been treated like Abel. You might have been victimized by others. And what Abel tells us is that not one drop of blood is shed without God knowing about it. And without him bringing justice, as he will do on the last day. That is very good news for those of us who've been victimized. But the truth is, if we've all been a little bit like Abel at one time or another, all of us have also been a little like Cain as well. Yes, we've been wronged, but we've also done wrong to others as well. And so at Mount Sinai, Abel's blood speaks that terrible word to us, guilty. But we've come to Mount Sinai, to Jesus' blood, which speaks a better word. His blood says, forgiven. His blood says forgiven, and he sprinkles it on us as his forgiven people. We belong to him. That's the miracle of the cross, that his death there was not just some random accident, but his deliberate plan, and he went there for us. He was not dying simply as one rejected by sinners, but as one choosing to be rejected for sinners so that he could take our place, so that we could leave behind us forever the fear of punishment. You've come to a better mountain, so say no to false fear. You never have to doubt God's love for you. You never have to wonder if he's just tolerating you until you really prove yourself. That fear that God is just waiting to punish you, that he's holding your past against you, leave that behind at Mount Sinai. That fear is not for us who belong to Jesus. Say no to false fear. Which means that there is such a thing as right fear. It's not the fear of punishment, but it's what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And that's what we find at the end of our Hebrews reading. It's the awe and reverence that we have for the God who, verse 29, is a consuming fire. There is such a thing as healthy fear. And I think we can understand that in all sorts of areas of life. Just imagine someone who's a surfer, who loves to surf on the sea. Such a person, if they're an expert surfer, has a healthy fear of the sea. They understand how big it is, how amazing it is. 
and they want to surf in a way that makes sense of that. They won't go out if the conditions are too dangerous. And that fear doesn't inhibit their enjoyment, it makes it possible. There is such a thing as healthy fear, and that's the fear we should cultivate before the Lord. Not a fear that he will punish us, but that reverence and awe that sees his glory and goodness and seeks to enjoy him by coming before him as holy. Fear him that way. You've come to a better mountain, so say no to false fear. That takes me to my second point. Yes, you've come to a better mountain, and because of that, you have even more reason to obey. So say no to cheap grace. It's true that we leave the punishment and the fear of that at Mount Sinai, but that doesn't mean that we treat God like some kind of teddy bear. No, we've even more reason to obey. Look at verse 25 with me. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? As the following verses go, the one who spoke on earth just shook Mount Sinai. But now the one who speaks from heaven will speak to shake all things as Jesus ushers in his new creation as the Lord of that new creation. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. And that's the bottom line. Coming to Mount Zion does not mean that we abandon holiness and obedience. It means we have even more reason to pursue them with all our hearts. So don't refuse the one speaking. And just think about that, the one speaking. As we go ahead into this series and hear the Lord give the Ten Commandments, it's personal. This is not just like a lifestyle choice and you opt in out of a few bits and you opt out of others. No, this is personal. Jesus is speaking. And in each of the Ten Commandments, we are either saying yes to him or refusing him. Don't refuse him. If we enjoy him as our saviour, we must submit to him as our Lord. And if we're grateful for all the things he set us free from, sin and death and judgment, then we must grow into the things he's setting us free for, the life-giving obedience that changes us as we become more and more the people he makes us. So no, the law is not how we get right with God. But now we are right with God. The law, and especially the Ten Commandments, will give us a beautiful pattern for how to live free for the holiness that glorifies God. And actually what we're going to see is that Jesus takes the law seriously. In his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so if there are any Old Testament laws we're not observing today in the church, it's not because they've been abolished, but because they've been fulfilled. And we respond to them in a new way as we follow Jesus. What we'll see is that Jesus will take us beyond the law by moving beyond outward observance, moving beyond the superficial and getting to the heart, getting to the heart of what the commandment means that was given and getting to the heart of you and me as we hear. Take, for instance, the sixth commandment. By the time Jesus shows us what do not murder means, we realize that it's not just a tick box. Have, have you ever murdered anyone? Yes or no? 
Because a lot of us might do okay with that and, and then move on. Tick? No. But Jesus will show us it's not that at all. Because he'll go to the heart. He'll move beyond the superficial. And instead, he'll look at our temper. He'll look at our anger. He'll look at the things we say when we lose control. And he'll put the spotlight there. And he'll show us that that's what the commandment was always addressing, not just whether you've murdered, but also how you treat your fellow human being, your fellow image bearer of God. Jesus isn't dialing down the Ten Commandments. In his ministry and teaching, he dials them up. Don't refuse him as he speaks. You've even more reason to obey. So say no to cheap grace. There was a, a really inspiring Christian leader from Germany in the 20th century called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he knew all about the cheap grace I'm talking about. In fact, I borrowed that phrase from him and his amazing book, The Cost of Discipleship. In fact, his witness to Jesus means he ended his life in a Nazi concentration camp for speaking out against the evils he saw. Let me read to you a little bit from that book, The Cost of Discipleship, and it'll come up on the screen. Bonhoeffer writes, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. Say no to cheap grace so that you can have the real thing, the costly thing, so wonderfully free for us, but so costly for Jesus. And would not receiving that costly thing transform us too? See, love only ever makes demands in order to set us free. The attitude that treats Jesus as a ticket to heaven but doesn't want to be transformed by him is an attitude that will never experience the freedom for that he's come to bring. It's shallow and superficial, not to mention deeply cynical. How do you feel when people just use you and have no desire to come nearer to you? Let's not do that with our laws. Don't refuse the one who's speaking. Jesus calls us to obey because he loves us, because he's seeking our highest good, because he's calling us to become all that we could be. Not just free from sin, but now also free for him and an intimacy with him that transforms us in every way. As we draw near in worship to the God who is the consuming fire, and all the dross is burnt away, and we become more and more the people he made us to be, the people we really are, as we receive the kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's a wonderful promise from this verse. You're receiving that kingdom in Jesus. And yes, even though we're waiting for him to return until we have it in full, Hebrews 12 says that by faith and in the Holy Spirit, we are already there on Mount Zion. We have already come near into that amazing, glorious welcome, and we belong to him. Here's something I've been praying for 
all of us this morning, and in fact for us as a church in the summer to come. I've been praying that as we hear the Ten Commandments and respond, the Lord would help us hear what we individually need to hear. The Holy Spirit would take the truth of the gospel into our hearts in just the way we need it. Because here's a thing I've often experienced. Tender-hearted Christians with sensitive consciences can be very quick to beat themselves up with warnings from the Lord and always harbour that caricature of a God who is too stern to really love them. On the other hand, other Christians can be curiously hard-hearted and even when the Lord speaks to call them away from their sin, use the promises he gives almost as a barrier from letting him get near. That's so common. I've often found I preach a sermon full of comfort and the people who don't need to be comforted use it as an excuse not to obey. I found that when we preach judgment, those with tender consciences who have trusted the Lord take it so hard, almost beat themselves up. So I'm praying, come Holy Spirit, help us as a church to find that beautiful balance between discovering that yes, we're free from false fear, the Lord will not punish those who belong to Jesus, but also we're free for the beautiful obedience that means saying no to all sorts of things that only ever diminish us so that we can say yes to Jesus and becoming more like him. So now as we close, may I invite you to reflect on what the Lord needs to say to you and perhaps what you need to do now in your hearts as we come to him. Remember, say no to false fear because you've come to a better mountain. Perhaps this morning you need to hear the better word that Jesus' blood is speaking. Forgiven. You are forgiven. Perhaps the Lord is exposing that false fear in your heart. The caricature of a God who's just waiting to snap. No. No. The God we worship bled for you. He bled for you. Say no to false fear. But as you do that, and because you do that, at the same time, say no to cheap grace. Now we belong to Jesus, we have even more reason to obey and go his way. Perhaps this morning and throughout this summer, the Lord is underlining for you the ways you've been cheapening his grace. I know it's so uncomfortable, but if you sense that that's what he's doing, don't ask him to stop. Ask him to keep going. Ask him to keep showing you that. Show him the sins you've grown to tolerate and the ways we've been pretending he tolerates them too. Ask him to show you because he's not going to show you and then condemn you. Ask him to show you so he can step in and help you so that he might draw you and me away from the cheap grace that never saves more and more into the real thing, the costly and beautiful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ.